You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, this is Abraham. And this is Shane. So welcome to Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. So we have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into this thing. Shane, have you heard of Meridian Points? I have heard of Meridian Lines. Okay. Is that like from Ghostbusters? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Different thing, but that's good. (laughs) Well, actually, maybe they're not as different as one might think given their level of scientific credibility and whatnot. (laughs) Have you ever heard of this idea of tapping with respect to meridian points or even just someone saying that they're doing tapping like on their body? I actually haven't heard that. Okay. Have you heard of acupuncture? I definitely have. Okay. So you might actually be tapping meridian points on accident when you do just sort of normal things throughout your day. So when you clap or when you drum on yourself, if you were to ever drum on your knees or something, or even when someone tries to get your attention by touching you on the shoulder. So bet you didn't know that was happening. I had no idea. Right. Based on what I've learned about this topic, I am a little concerned about that. <laughs> well, maybe they were maybe they were doing you a favor. Maybe not. Hard to say. So all of this, of course, is to say that today we are talking about this thing called Meridian Points. We're going to explain what they are, the history of the idea of Meridian Points, what tapping is, and what all the science says behind this idea. All right. So I think we might as well just dive right in then. Like you said, we've got a lot to cover, and this is going to be a kind of complex and kind of maybe esoteric type of topic. I think, yes, and this is one of those topics where I feel like we don't necessarily need a lot of additional commentary beyond simply explaining what the history is and what the claims are that are being made and how it's supposed to work. And just doing that, I think, illuminates everything that one would need to know about this topic and we will also provide commentary yes (laughs) yes i mean that's a bonus yeah as a bonus yeah initially i think we'll just try and explain as clearly and concisely as we can the history and explanation of what this thing is so let's dig into the background a little bit so the idea of meridian points comes from traditional chinese medicine or tcm and has to do with the pathways through which the energy life force qi flows Yeah, and although some have claimed that traditional Chinese medicine and specifically meridian points is ancient, as in like 3,000 or more years ago, the invention of meridian points is mostly attributed to ancient Chinese physician named, oh no, I'm going to butcher this, I don't mean to, Hua Tuo, maybe? Hao Tao? I'm going to give up there, and I really apologize for ruining that. And he lived around circa 140 to 208 CE, or current era. However, even this is contested, suggesting instead that it may not have even arisen in China. But the source for that was very unclear as to what the hypothesis would be an alternative. And I did include that source in the notes. I don't know exactly what would be the suggestion for where it came from, if not from China, but that person was questioning the that claim. All right. So it's important to note that these qi flowing vessels not only are are not coincidentally aligned with our veins and arteries, but they are specifically not even supposed to be part of our circulatory system. And instead, they're actually a totally separate system within our living being. Initially, especially. And it has been the case that some of them do overlap, but not intentionally. There might just be a little bit of coincidence here and there. Okay, so it was believed that, as you were saying, this energy flowed 
through this system and where that energy came from essentially was kind of all around us in the air and in the ether and whatnot this cheese specifically and it just sort of flowed in and out of the pores in our skin and therefore the idea here is that if needles were placed in those specific holes along the 12 lines of energy then the practitioner could supposedly moderate which is they could increase or decrease that flow of the chi and then therefore create the appropriate amount of balance and in the chi you have these two balanced sides of good and bad which are yin and yang and which point that they flow through and the amount of yin or yang that flowed through each point, that was supposed to be the thing that influenced, I guess, things like health and mental health. So think of your body as a drafty house. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, it's full, it's full of windows and doors, and you just open and close them to your liking using needles instead of actual windows or doors. And it, just, it was never appropriately sealed, so breeze just blows in through the cracks and whatnot. Essentially, what they're saying is that your body's not insulated. Well, the breeze in this case is magic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was good. That was good. Let magic flow (laughs) through your house. (laughs) So alternatively, there were some instead that believe that the energy corresponded not to the yin and yang, but to the five phases of elements believed to be confined to fire, water, metal, wood, and soil. I think that the thing that you just said, the let the magic flow through your house is the tagline for Frozen 2. <laughs> I think that's just a, kidding. That's, every, that's most Disney movies. That's like a Disney's marketing. Yep. Just let the magic that's flow fair. through your house. Your mouse house. <laughs> All right. Part of the reason that needling was seen as the best option for this, because you got you to gotta wonder, they're talking about this idea that, all right, we've got magic flowing through these pores in our body, and there's very specific pores through which it flows, and there's good and bad magic and all that. Maybe we could refer to it as the force, if you want to do that, the dark side and the light side of the force. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah, may as well. Or if there are types of magic, and I don't think in Harry Potter they ever clarify that there was good and bad magic. There was just people who used it for good nefarious purposes or good uh, whatever anyway <laughs> i got way off topic really quickly <laughs> so the idea that needling was seen as the best option for this is that people understood that health and well-being were influenced by internal systems in the body so at this point in time they did know that you had things inside your body and that when those things were broken or failed that that would result in poor health outcomes sometimes death and also, the body was considered very sacred in most culture around this point, and so it was considered forbidden to open up the body to perform a surgical operation in that culture at that time. And therefore, inserting very fine needles was a way to attempt to influence those internal systems while simultaneously knowing very little about those systems and how to work with them. Oh, that's such an interesting loophole. Right? Because you couldn't do surgery, so they're like, well, we can jab needles in there, and that's almost as good. Yeah, we just, like, think of, like, sharp corks. (laughs) Sharp corks. (laughs) (laughs) Plug stuff up and mess with the flows. So, initially, it was supposed that there were 365 openings in which to insert the needles. So, not joking, this was because there's 365 days in the year. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's 365 days in the year, so now there's 365 meridian points in the body. Yeah, so current estimates put that number up to 670 points, and it has reached a point at which, essentially, there are very few points that are not considered meridians. So essentially, if you find a point, it's a meridian point. Yeah, there's just so many. One thing that is consistent, regardless of the reason for this process, is that 
specific needling practices would were supposed to yield specific results. So should you place a needle in a particular meridian point, in a particular place, then you would expect the very same outcome every time that a needle was placed there because each meridian point was specifically tied to a specific process, right? So the idea here being that one particular of the 670 that you have, if you were to put a needle there, then that would alter the flow of chi for that particular meridian point, which would have a very specific health outcome because you chose that meridian point. It's important to know. And these needles, they do come in a variety of sizes between a half to 1.5 inches long, and most of them range between a 30 and a 40 gauge. And just for those of you who are not familiar with this system, it's very unintuitive and gauging the bigger the number, the smaller the diameter of the needle. And so these are often only about as thick as a strand of hair or sometimes even thinner than that. So they're extremely, extremely fine, very thin needles. They're like very thin pancakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's a thin pancake. Now, so I got the vision of like when you talked about like plugging up the meridian points in a certain way to get a certain outcome, I just thought of like a human being as a recorder. <laughs> Like, so when you plug up certain holes, it makes certain notes, like almost like a wind instrument. That's a great analogy. I love it. I mean, so like there's different notes and different sounds that come out of that. So <laughs> I'm operating at a B flat right now. That's it. That's it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very A right now. <laughs> so, but this is not a podcast about acupuncture. We've been talking about this for a little bit. We're not talking about acupuncture. We're actually talking about the meridian points specifically that are being treated and plugged up by the use of acupuncture and how to tap them to exploit these points in our body. So what we're doing is we're talking about the actual holes and how to tap them and what's going on with that. The background on where the concept of meridian points comes from is important to kind of color the experience and kind of color the science that we're getting ready to get into. Yeah, absolutely. And so tapping meridian points is a way of capitalizing on that system. And this was proposed in the 1960s by a man named George Goodhart, as far as I could find. And he did study acupuncture, but what he discovered was that he could obtain similar results as the acupuncture by simply applying pressure to those same points on the body. Interesting. Yeah. And from this also emerged something called emotional freedom technique or EFT. And this is a form of tapping which began in the late 90s, although I couldn't find a lot of distinction about why this was different. But I think essentially what happened and I could be a little bit incorrect on my timeline here, but mostly when you go to do research on this, if you're the scientific studies, they're basically just unpacking how does this work? Under what conditions does it work? What does it do? And when you go look at the people who are promoting tapping, they're like, this is amazing. And so it was very, fairly difficult for me to just find a really good, clear, solid history and timeline. And I was able to find a pretty good one. And it looked like what happened was George Goodhart proposed this idea that rather than doing needles, you could just do pressure in the form of things like tapping sort of, but really just applying pressure. And that that morphed into tapping with this freedom or emotional freedom technique in the 90s. And so whatever George Goodhart did, it became systematized more is sort of how I read that timeline. So I hope that's accurate. I might be a little bit wrong. If someone knows more information about that, feel free to write in and let us know and we'll absolutely correct that on one of a subsequent episode that we record. An emotional freedom technique sounds very 90s. It like, does, That right? sounds like straight up like something that came up in like 1994. Straight up, don't tell me, do you really want emotional freedom technique? Boop, oh, boop, oh, boop. Oh. <laughs> so we keep talking about like this emotional freedom technique and like tapping and stuff. So what does it do? Like, what does this actually look like? Yeah. So interestingly, 
tapping seems to take things a bit further, further than acupuncture specifically, by suggesting that the tapping rewires your brain. Now, maybe acupuncture does make this claim at some point. I just didn't see it when I was doing research for this. But you got to ask the question, what does it mean? What is it supposed to mean when it rewires your brain and how would it do that? And so it seems to imply in a way that by doing this tapping, this is permanent because the idea here is that you are readjusting the wires. And so now they're just wired that way. But you got to kind of ask logically, okay, so if you can rewire a brain, you can change the way that it's currently wired, then doesn't that by definition mean it can just be rewired back to the way it is? And also, is rewiring the brain actually a good thing if we're able to accomplish it? Is it one of those things where it's like you can have a cascade of effects that you didn't really plan for because our brains are actually extraordinarily complex machines? I would be pretty alarmed if someone even suggested this to me as part of some kind of therapy of like, all right, we're going to do this and this and we're going to rewire your brain. And I'm just going to say, stop, stop right there. You're going to do what to my brain? <laughs> this would make me agoraphobic. Like I would, I would never go outside because I would be afraid that if I bumped into something, I would end up with a different personality. <laughs> That's all it takes. <laughs> you know, it's like one really good round of applause. And I'm done. <laughs> what good round of applause. <laughs> I, I went to that one magician and i clapped too hard now i don't know who i am that's it that's it i i I go to a concert and i bump into somebody and now i now i'm like a studied mathematician i can't do it (laughs) i just it just it would just it would make me so paranoid so anyway you can actually find some apps or programs online or seek help from a quote professional unquote but once you get started you can actually do it on your own if you want to and all you do is figure out where on your body you want to achieve some result and tap as if you were tapping along to the beat of the music some kind of music or something and it doesn't need to be a very high pressure at all but shouldn't be too low to feel it either so you should be able to feel whatever tapping you're engaging in yeah lots of these spots are located on the head and face and there are plenty on your like arms and hands and feet and stuff like that there's, there's obviously some overlap with things like reflexology, the same sort of ideas here. I don't want to, I thought about actually saying what all these spots were, but I just, I don't know that that's going to be particularly useful. And I don't want to give the the impression or the idea that essentially what what's, would be the result of somebody listening is just going to get a placebo out of it. Which, I mean, is not necessarily a bad thing, but I mean, if all it takes is just tapping on your head and believing that that's going to have some outcome, then how about we'll just say, just believe you're going to have some outcome and voila, that's all it takes. Yeah. I mean, same type of effect, I guess. Right. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, then go see a real doctor. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and we'll get into like some of the other stuff about like why you should probably go see your real doctor instead. But we'll do that later. So these are largely suggested to imbue a therapeutic effect on distressing thoughts and feelings. So many of them suggest that tapping can increase your energy, focus, mood, responsiveness, creativity, processing speed, and just about anything else that you can think of. Because why not? Yeah. I wonder if I could like help someone who had irregular bowel movements by tapping on their toe or something. I imagine somebody out there has probably learned to do these things and is probably doing these in a public space. Now I just think of them tapping themselves on the face on like a subway train (laughs) and then that getting recorded somewhere or somebody being like, that's strange. Like, right. Like that would look odd if you're like tapping the middle of your forehead several times. Because maybe that's one of the meridian points. It's got to be if you've got 670 at least, right? So you just start tapping yourself on the forehead to make yourself more creative. And then all of a sudden, now you're a YouTube sensation. Sure. Working on my brain, jerks. You'll know me. Trying to help my brain. 
So just to summarize all of this that we've talked about so far, we've unpacked a lot of the history, the idea of how this is supposed to work. Essentially, what is being claimed here is that there is this magical force, whatever that might be, that pervades the universe and at least on our planet, and it exists inside your body and it has total dominant control over your health and psychological well-being and it can be exploited specifically by stabbing needles into your skin along magical vessels at these points called meridians but this doesn't necessarily have to be needles because didn't never had to be it could be any form of stimulation or even attention such as having lasers pointed at it and i didn't really go much into this but yes one of the things that has evolved or whatever emerged like a maggot from a pile of <laughs> bad science <laughs> bad science there you go <laughs> is <laughs> deep cut was the fact that you can use lasers very same idea so they basically just shine a light on your skin along these meridian points supposed to have also that same effect so it's moved even further away from any physical contact whatsoever whatever and not the point each meridian point or cluster of meridian points anywhere is associated with a particular organ or part of the brain or psychological process so for example there are supposed to be meridian points that's like if you are having cardiovascular trouble and you just stick a needle in this meridian point or you poke this meridian point with your finger or you shine a light on it and that's supposed to fix your cardiovascular problems however they also stray into some somewhat dangerous territory by claiming that it may be useful for supporting treatments other treatments with things like pain relief weight loss and even cancer and diabetes and as i mentioned earlier heart disease so they go from simple claims like this will give you more energy to this will cure your cancer or your diabetes and that's where it becomes a problem like it's not entirely harmful to start tapping yourself because you think it's going to be helpful or part of a ritual it gives you more energy it puts you in a better mood during the day but like when you're growing and saying like i have stage four lung cancer i'm going to tap these meridian points on my chest to treat this that's a different issue yeah and specifically as opposed to going to seek medical help and if it were to be the case that someone's going to see a real medical professional about this and that person's able to help provide some treatment for their cancer and they're also tapping and then they heal than misattributing that healing to the fact that they were doing tapping and not to the real medical work that was being done. Ah, superstition. Yes, superstition. See previous episode on superstition. (laughs) (laughs) So we've tried to be as objective as possible up to this point. And it's hard to resist being a little bit snarky because you just, some of the stuff, like I said, all you have to do is say it and it becomes immediately clear why it doesn't make very much sense, to put it nicely. And part of my inspiration for this, I'm going to go and call this out. There is a podcast that I listen to called Quick Brain, and I'm going to tag them in this. And Jim Quick, you're welcome to reach out to me. That's fine. And there were multiple guests on here making this claim that you can do this tapping on meridian points to improve or access some amount of your psychology. And I just had to really take this opportunity to now i've wanted to talk about this for a while but that was that was one thing that really inspired me to dig into the research on this so that happened recently i started looking into the research investigating this because it was this is a psychology podcast that he does it seems to have a lot of people who listen to it and i just wanted to set the record straight on this idea of tapping meridian points and where the science is here so let's Go ahead and start to unpack some of the criticisms and science that's been done here. Yeah. So, um, 
You know, many of the sources that explain how acupuncture and meridian points work, or maybe all of them, specifically ensured that they elaborated on how much science backs these ideas with, quote, astounding, unquote, results and linked to several studies. So so they're already kind of diving headfirst in this idea that they have these astounding, unbelievable, unparalleled results, right? And backed by real science. And so naturally, I was very curious to inspect those studies. First of all, describing the outcomes of a scientific study as astounding is a fairly profound red flag in academia and science and normal life. That's a hashtag for pseudoscience. Yes, that is pseudoscience. Hashtag astounding. (laughs) (laughs) And so kind of going into that, another red flag is that the research is often published in journals that already buy into these practices as as legitimate. So their quote unquote peer review is less scrutinized than it would be by more skeptical scientists. So they're already walking into these studies with a bias. And they do also publish a significant number of the time into those pay to publish journals where you don't, it's not really peer review. It's just, if you can afford their fee, then they'll put it out in their journal. So it again, looks like science, but yeah, a lot of them, they do a quote unquote peer review process, just as you mentioned, but it's by people who are already like, yeah, that makes sense. And so they don't question any of their conclusions or results or independent variables or dependent variables or methods or anything. It's just whatever you say. Sure. So most of the studies are done by the same people repeatedly And they're obviously those who believe it and also have financial gain by selling products related to their line of research. So there's a lot of like conflicts of interest built into this. Yeah. You know, it's like people that are already in it, they stand something to gain and just don't really have anything to lose by continually putting out research that's that has their name on it. It says like it works when it might not. It would be like if there was a study that came out that said playing PlayStation 4 made you more attractive and have better abs and made you smarter at life and that study was funded by sony and you're like um i don't know how much i'm going to believe that because you saying that results in more people buying your product so would you claim it would be something other than that thing probably not right so the whole conflict of interest piece is these are people And I don't think I found a person for whom this was not the case where they're trying to sell you a product about their tapping thing or their meridian points or whatever, or, and they have got lots of products to sell. I mean, when it rains, it pours in this particular region here. And so like, it's, I mean, everything you can think of, they're trying to sell you something. And so if they publish a study that supports what they're doing, on the one hand, you could take the magnanimous view here of, okay, well, they just have found something that's really effective. It really works. And they really want to help a lot of people. So they've created as many products as possible so that those people can benefit from what they have found. I mean, yes, but that's actually part of the reason that scientists do not get involved in selling the same things they do research on. If you look at any other major scientific field, they cannot have a stake in a financial gain by publishing on the thing that they are interested in, aside from they can continue to do their research, right? And even then, they will still get funding by publishing null results by saying, we found that this particular thing doesn't work, and that's still useful to know. And so their funding isn't dependent upon them just being successful. And for these, it is entirely dependent. And so they, in real science, you find them avoiding instances in which they would have those conflict of interest by simply not being financially involved in the product that they're researching. Right. And you're not likely to see those published anyway. Like if there is a conflict of interest, you're not likely to see those things that have those conflicts of interest published in peer reviewed journals. 
Very good point. Yes. So as we dug into the research a little bit, we were constantly rerouted to blogs, TED Talks or TEDx Talks and other discussion articles, but nothing that found like had any sort of like uh, systematic peer review or systematic process in, in critically and skeptically evaluating these studies. Yeah, I had for these studies, I had a lot of trouble actually finding the articles for which they were claiming were backing this up. Every time that they would say, you know, this study showed this, I would follow that link and it would just bring me to another blog where they essentially did say that thing and would usually link to something else, which was usually another blog or some discussion article that they were talking about. And so I just followed these wormholes for a while. Now, what I did find highlighted that the researchers regularly ignored published studies demonstrating no results. So when I did find those articles in there, they would in their what's called the literature review section of the article, which is where they would summarize the research that's been done, they would only ever speak to here are the positive things that have happened. And they would not ever report on the studies that showed this is when this completely didn't work at all, even following the exact same procedure. And so it made it look like, oh, the research here is really strong because we're just going to ignore the stuff that doesn't look good. Furthermore, they had poor, and I'm by poor, I mean none, <laughs> actual <laughs> experimental control in place. So they didn't use appropriate blinding procedures. They had painfully small sample sizes for a randomized control trial study. They had just very, very little, like some of them, you're supposed to have a pre-post phase and they literally only had a post. It was like these people came in and we did this intervention and here are the results. But I'm like, what was their intake like? How do we know that those results were better than when they started, are they the same? Are they worse? Like, are they actually better? How would I know? And so there's just a lot of missing information for something that's supposed to be peer reviewed. Like some, a, a normal study that lacks basic experimental control would never make it to publish. Not in a reputable journal or like not in those circles for sure. So kind of going into that idea of evidence-based part of their claim that this is quote unquote evidence-based is that it stimulates the amygdala and there's no evidence that's ever been shown that it does that it's purely speculation at best and not actual evidence so like just because you have an opinion or a thought or even a possible hypothesis it does not mean that it's evidence-based yeah they're sort of like well this activates the amygdala there's evidence that it works right there I'm like but it doesn't and what do you mean that it activates the amygdala if somebody said that i'd be like does it though and if they couldn't answer that in a more like concise way with something to back it up, then I would assume that they were probably making that up. Yeah, like let's go back to that whole example of PlayStation making you super ripped. And we were to ask them maybe, what's your evidence? And Sony's like, well, it activates your muscles. You're like, oh, okay, cool. But <laughs> does it activate Wait, your muscles? Yeah, how? what are you talking about? So yes, uh, furthermore, critics have requested better pre-post measures of these studies. As I mentioned, there was that missing intake phase here. And what would happen was the people who were pushing for the tapping thing, they would often take the client's word for whatever their affliction might be, and they wouldn't do an, a formal assessment. And then they would implement their quote-unquote treatment. So someone would come in, they'd say, I have heart disease. And the person would be like, okay, well, we're going to do this tapping thing. And then they would test them and be like, hey, you don't have heart disease. And then we'd have to ask the question, did they actually have heart disease? Was, was that there? Did you, how do we know, <laughs> you know? And, and that just, the, that information was missing. So these critics have requested investigation coordination with these non-believers. So essentially what was happening was the real scientists were like, okay, you say this is happening. Maybe it is. Let's work together. And they just, they have not been open to that. And 
also critics have asked or requested that the people who are behind this simply provide some conceptual reason for how the system is supposed to work and just saying things like what well, activates your amygdala there's no conceptual reason for that to happen right it just doesn't make any sense right like that doesn't even follow like a neurological model or a medical model or like an anatomical model or medical any of those things yeah that's a big a big red flag is like if you have a group of people that are saying like this is the thing but i don't want anybody in those outer circles into our inner circle to study this then you could probably assume that they're probably trying to hide something or they're afraid that they're going to get exposed using some actual evidence-based practices. Well, and science generally proceeds with, we are constantly trying to prove ourselves wrong. That's what science is trying to do is let's find out where this doesn't work. We have identified that this, let's just say mathematical model explains how these things work. Let's put it to the test here and here and here. Like look at Einstein. When he proposed his theories, everyone didn't just clap and celebrate and say, cool, you're right. That's it. Our work is done. They tested them over and over and over again and found that most of the time when they would put them to a particular test, they worked and a few times they didn't. And so when they didn't work, then they would recalibrate that model and then they would see like okay now that we've addressed this problem now does it work and they're just constantly trying to find where things break down and these proponents of this thing seem to have no interest whatsoever in finding the conditions under which it doesn't work they want to find all of the reasons to claim that it does and essentially that's kind of what happens the proponents of this they clamor about how miraculous everything is and all these like just these astounding yep like they said before like astounding results but actually offer no comment to critics except that they should be silent so that's so you'll see that's like oh you don't get it get out of here like they they kind of kick them out of their circles they kick them out of their communities yeah and they often just talk about we're going to silence those critics all those skeptics out there and then they'll even say things like we have we have silenced them with this particular study. And <laughs> no, you have not. It's like, have you? <laughs> I, I, now I have more questions. Yeah, I'm a skeptic. Here I am. I'm not being silent. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Until that study comes out that silences us. I'm being very loud. <laughs> There's going to be a study that comes out and there and we're going to be like, well, well, man, we have to pull down that episode. Yeah, uh, I will happily offer a redaction if there is good scientific evidence that says that I'm wrong. That's what it means to be a scientist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way, hint, hint, wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. I think I heard someone say, and I may have said this on this podcast before, but someone that was a skeptic said something to the extent of, I could change my mind about this, but it's going to take as much evidence as it took to convince me that I was right in the first place. Yes. And so like, yeah, I could absolutely be on board with this if you can provide as much evidence as there is counter evidence or more. I need in more evidence to say that this is correct and good luck. The example I always give is like, do I believe in aliens? Statistically, it makes sense. There is not evidence that has been put in my face to make me believe that they exist because I have not seen it in my face. Yeah, it's fair. But statistically, it makes sense that there would be life elsewhere. So I always kind of go back to that. It's like, I'm not saying that I don't believe. Give me more evidence and I will. It's fair. Yeah, I like it. So essentially what ends up happening with this group is they're really good at marketing and gaining attention. So like what they'll do is they'll have like this like fantastical language. They'll recruit personalities like Dr. Oz, who that's we should just do a whole episode on Dr. Oz at some point in time. <laughs> the whole series. <laughs> whole series and then on otherwise reputable scientific dissemination forums such as the radio show and the podcast science friday so for example they received a lot of press when they announced they found a, a quote new organ unquote i remember that that was fun yeah that was like a whole thing for a while and they didn't 
They found a new way to look at the skin, but use this narrative of the quote-unquote new organ to push an agenda that the interstitium, as they called it, is the basis under which acupuncture actually works. Right. So, yeah, essentially they found it was a useful new way of looking at skin and specifically investigating it and called this new way revealing this new organ in our body, which was this interstitium. And that that was the reason that acupuncture works is because the needles go into the interstitium and that has this particular connection to the rest of our body. And people just ate it up for a minute it was all on the news it was like on npr and making the rounds and these news cycles everyone's like there's a new organ in our body we didn't know about oh my god and it seemed like this giant this awesome new time in science and it turns out that that's just not what was going on but man do they love the press that they got for that i remember reading articles on that being like what we have another organ yeah <laughs> and then being like no 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 Make no mistake, although they talk about how self-empowering the strategy is, they are really pushing their products and pushing them hard. Furthermore, their model is not a medical model for many reasons. For one thing, there are what you might call dependency focused. And what that means is they want you to keep coming back to them indefinitely forever as opposed to creating independence and weaning you off their interventions they want to have a repeat customer who will buy their products who will hook others on their products who will get people using the stuff that they're selling as much as possible whereas in a normal medical model they want to get you healed get you fixed get you out the door for those of us who are in psychology specifically scientific psychology and into medicine and all of these scientific disciplines, our goal is to put ourselves out of work by not being necessary. We want to help people so they no longer need our help is the idea. A good clinician does not want you to stay around. Exactly. Just going back to this idea of the issues around this is that, as I mentioned, because they're constantly pushing their products to sell you and keep selling you and getting you to try and recruit your friends. Like, let's just take, for example, does your physical therapist do this? Does your general practitioner try and solicit more clients from you? Like, hey, go tell your friends, right? Why don't they do this? Well, I mean, for one thing, it's unethical. But also because in the medical model, our job is to fix those problems, not create pretend permanent problems. And I had to go to physical therapy for a while. And my physical therapist was constantly like, we need to do these assessments for these benchmarks for to find out if you still need to be here. We're going to try and like evaluate on these scales to see when we can fade out what we're working on here. Like, you know, make sure you're practicing this stuff independently, report back if things aren't working. But otherwise, it's just get in here, get this intervention working, get out as soon as possible. And I really appreciated their orientation to my go there for that reason. And I also really appreciated that they were using good science and good ethical practices with the model that they were working with. And that makes sense. Like I had to go to a physical therapist for my knee and they were like, they did not want me to stay there. They wanted to see me get better. They wanted to see improvements and not have me rely on them for the rest of my life. Right. I mean, that's it. That's it. So where there's good science done, they have coordinated with quote unquote professional acupuncturists and shown that even when they specifically avoid or place needles completely incorrectly, they get exactly the same outcome as the quote-unquote correct treatment placings. So that is, it's just as good as a placebo. Right. So this is one of those things that it's really difficult to prove wrong because of the placebo effect and because there are so, so many different meridian points that you can 
access potentially. And so they couldn't just do a no needle placement. They had to be able to do something that looked like the treatment, but do it differently. So the idea being that they would only place needles in these specific places because they're supposed to get a specific outcome. And they're like, okay, let's just place them in specifically the wrong places to maybe even get an opposite outcome and then still get the same outcome. And so essentially that spoke to the idea of where there is an effect, it's a placebo. And there's not anything necessarily wrong with a placebo in and of itself, but there are many dangerous things with specifically to acupuncture, not necessarily with respect to tapping because it's you're not dealing with sharp instruments, but there is when you do that to the exclusion of good medicine. And when you are spending a lot of money on the products that they're selling you that aren't actually doing anything. So the people who are the most vulnerable to this are the people who don't have a lot of education about it, who don't have a lot of money to lose, and who are therefore avoiding effective treatment to pursue something that is technically cheaper than going to see a real doctor, at least initially, although it'll be not cheaper in the long run, and isn't effective, and therefore they are dying because of it. So there are definitely some problems with that. And then furthermore, many of these treatments are combined with other medically supported therapeutic interventions. And when acupuncture or whatever woo it is that they're using is removed, then there is no decrease whatsoever in the therapeutic effect. And this demonstrates that the meridian stimulation is at best superfluous, which is to say that it's just entirely unnecessary. And all this is to say that where there is good science, it basically seems to say that you get a placebo effect or less. And it is unnecessary at best. Yeah. So then I guess the question is like, what's actually going on? Yeah, that's what I want to know. So let's answer that question. So first of all, it's important to point out that the well-controlled studies that are independently conducted do show some sort of effect. So key words here, well-controlled, well-designed studies show some sort of effect. But does this mean that there is some merit to these techniques? Absolutely not. Right. So first, with respect to healing pain, there is a relatively well-studied effect that providing some sort of alternative source of stimulation will mitigate the sensation of pain. So for instance, when if you've ever seen in those like war movies when people are having to do horrible things on the battlefield, biting down on a piece of wood or something while somebody does something painful, that source of stimulation to the jaw can actually mitigate the extent to, to which you experience pain and prevent people from you know, grinding their teeth too much. Or for example, when you stub your toe, you might then like pound your fist or stomp your foot or do something. There's an automatic thing we do. Or insert any other example of experiencing deliberately inflicting pain on yourself to mitigate another sort of pain. And this is called hyperstimulation analgesia. So in the extent to which there is this analgesic effect that can be produced by needles or tapping, it could be equally easily accomplished by virtually any other type of supplemental stimulation. And this is especially true for acupuncture techniques that involved low electric currents to produce a mild electric shock. So honestly, if you take a hot bath with wine and sleep on silk, you'll get just as good of an outcome as if you were to do these things. So that's probably a preferable way of dealing with that pain than going and getting electric needles into your skin. Now, again, that being said, there is this effect that happens where you, when you add pain, that'll mitigate the experience of other pain. And that's just a thing. So go do something else. It just additional stimulation is all it is. Now I have it in my head that like I was already skeptical about acupuncture, but now now there's electric acupuncture. No, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. 
So in addition, as we mentioned before, sometimes there appears to be an effect because of a few systematic things that tend to occur. A, the body's immune system does its job and the person heals through natural body processes. But this tends to be correlated with them having administered some treatment first, in this case, tapping, right? So you'll see that correlation a little bit. But B, they are taking effective medicine simultaneously. So the effect of tapping gets mired and obscured by the legitimate medicine. And then also C, they never had a diagnosable problem to begin with, so there appears to be an effect because they don't test for the problem at first, administer a treatment, and then measure for the problem only to find that it's now gone. So essentially, they never had it to begin with, they never tested for it, but now all of a sudden they don't have it when they never had it to begin with. Yeah, and this is, I think, one of the most critical parts of this entire discussion. So you said it perfectly, and I'm just going to try and summarize it one more time to make sure that everybody really heard it and is able to walk away with this from this episode. This is one of the most important things, that the three reasons that seems like there is an effect is because our bodies do heal themselves. And there might be some attempts to heal it, like tapping or whatever taking a hot bath and sleeping on silk and it was just going to heal anyway. And the thing that you did, the tapping or the silk sleeping didn't really have an effect or that you are taking a real medicine and that real medicine had the effect, but you were also doing the supplemental thing that made it look like that supplemental thing had an effect, even though it didn't. And then finally it was, there wasn't an actual problem. And so there wasn't anything to cure, but you feel better because you took some kind of step toward an intervention, right? Because you're like, hey, I did something. I feel better. My problem is gone. It was never established that you had a problem to begin with. So I just, you said that really well. I want to make sure that we just say that a couple of times so that people remember, because that I think is one of the most important things to understand about why this might ever work is because of those three things. And then there is, of course, the placebo effect. Now, there are other reasons that you might see an effect like the placebo, like other th- like the hyperstimulation analgesia that we talked about. But those are some other things to consider. I think you summarized that point well. I like that. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So another thing going on here that often happens that we see with people who believe in this woo as opposed to... Um, medical doctors and skeptics is there is this pervasive sort of cynicism about science just generally. And one of the things that is important to know here is that science is this evolving process and it involves being wrong, finding out how you're wrong, and then changing your mind about something. And so sometimes science will make a statement about what is quote unquote known, and then better evidence will come along and dismantle that position. And then scientists have to adjust their opinion to what is now more known. Although this might be frustrating to some people, it's really a good thing. We do not want people, especially people in positions of power, who don't learn from their mistakes, but just find ways to justify their mistakes indefinitely, right? But this type of dynamic process, the scientific process, it can lead people to feel confused sometimes and disenfranchised with the process because they assume that the first thing that they hear is the gospel truth and it should never be changed. And that's just not the way things work. But cynicism about science is really an untenable position. And it does not make any sense at all that the response would be to veer toward fantastical and wild claims of miracles just because they can't ever be proven wrong because you can't prove a negative, right? You know, one of the clearest examples of this where we, you know, as scientists, we reserve the right to be wrong and we should continue to advance is the example of lobotomies. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example. If you want to even go back further and you look at the treatment for the Black Plague, what they did to treat the Black Plague, not so good. Yeah. Not scientifically sound. We know a little bit more about diseases and bloodborne pathogens and things of that nature. And we have 
continued to evolve. That's a good thing. So to refute it, because we have some new evidence and say, no, 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 the old way worked. It doesn't really make any sense and it doesn't really do anything to benefit humanity overall. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And were you talking about trepanation? Because I think that would be a really cool topic for the future at some point. Oh, yeah. I want to make sure I say this very clearly because I'm afraid that someone might hear this and say, well, they can't be proved wrong. That means that they are definitely right. Let me give you an example of why that's not the case. Let's say that I am going to explain that everything you do is because there is an invisible magical unicorn floating in the sky above you that controls your actions. Okay. You can't ever prove that wrong because I can also say you can't touch or find this invisible unicorn because it doesn't want to be found. So every attempt you have to prove that there's not an invisible magical unicorn can be explained by the fact that it's a magical unicorn. So you're like, well, I put a roof over my head, but it still had an effect. Well, like that doesn't matter because the unicorn can do its magic through roofs. You're like, well, I searched the sky above me and we cast giant nets and I never found anything. I'm like it's a magical unicorn. I can float right through stuff. It doesn't matter. And like every explanation I give is it doesn't matter. It's magic. Right. And would you then believe me that there is definitely an invisible magical unicorn flying over your head, controlling everything you do? Hopefully not. Right. I don't know. That was pretty convincing. <laughs> and Cause like I said, you can put in anything you want when your answer is magic. You can't ever prove it wrong because every attempt to prove it wrong is well, you can't prove it wrong because it's magic. And those are not legitimate workable answers. At that point, virtually anything that you come up with is an answer. There's nothing that's wrong. Anything that you say when your answer is magic will work because you can never prove it wrong. And that warns you that anytime that somebody makes a claim like this where their answer is it's magic, then they're probably wrong. Matter of fact, I'm just going to say it. They're wrong. <laughs> like, I'm going to lean heavily into this. And this is kind of the perspective I've always taken as a scientist is like with extraordinary claims, you require extraordinary evidence. Yes. That's what it comes down to. I mean, if you are going to sell a treatment to somebody, if you're going to sell a service to somebody and you're going to tout these extraordinary claims, you better be able to back it up. Otherwise, you're just a snake oil salesman. Yes. Okay. Well, we have one more final point on this and then we can wrap this up, which is that another reason that we see this tendency for people to believe this, for people to have the experience that this works, is a very common human bias called motivated reasoning. And we are planning to do a full episode on this, but I just want to summarize it really quickly. Essentially, motivated reasoning describes our tendency to minimize negative or weak evidence and overemphasize what looks like and feels good as the correct evidence. And it's the, this kind of like hyper-optimism sort of thing. And you're searching for anything to prove yourself right, and you will ignore anything that would prove yourself wrong. It is a tendency to just, we're motivated to find those things that make us feel right and look good. And that's called motivated reasoning, and it's a very common human bias. And so for that reason, that's another condition under which we're likely to see believing things that are miraculous in pseudoscience. We want to believe. We want to believe so desperately that we're willing to turn a blind eye to all the stuff that says it's not true with a bumper sticker that had a picture of a one of those cartoonish alien faces that said, I want to believe. And my, I, I had a mixed response because on the one hand, my thought is like, I want to believe too, but I don't. <laughs> so yet. Yeah, exactly. Yet. I really would like to believe. And I, as you said, statistically, I think that there is probably life on other planets out there. It makes a lot of sense to think that that's the case. And we just don't have evidence of it yet. 
there we go. So I think that's a good place to kind of put a nice little bow on this, right? Yeah, we started talking about ancient Chinese medicine and ended up on aliens. <laughs> that's a <laughs> yeah, typical run-of-the-mill, why-we-do-what-we-do episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the trajectory we follow. It's fine. So so essentially, to kind of wrap this up and, and give you kind of the take-home points of this, like Meridian points are essentially nonsense. There's no evidence that qi or life force energy or vessels or meridian points exist at all. Absolutely. And the research that is well controlled shows that at best you're getting a placebo effect. And this can be fine, but it should not be done to the exclusion of real medicine. Probably one of the more important takeaways too here is that tapping is superfluous. Like it's relatively benign, right? It's not going to be harmful, but it's not effective beyond placebo and absolutely should never be used for life-threatening diseases or conditions to the exclusion of legitimate medicine. So don't start doing tapping to treat cancer. Yeah. And don't buy a bunch of their products because they won't do anything. I mean, if they want to give them to you for free, then go nuts if you want to. But you just there's no point in contributing to a business that exploits people who are already disadvantaged to begin with. But if you want to wake up and tap on your forehead and believe that's going to make you have a better day, then sure. Just don't spend any money on it. Don't risk your life for it. Don't contribute to the market that is driving the pseudoscience it's just it just doesn't work there's no science there's no reason there's no epistemological reason there is no evidence whatsoever that this is a thing so tapping meridian points will maybe make you feel good in the moment because of that placebo effect but it won't do anything beyond that yep exactly you nailed it this has been the why we do what we do buzzkill episode (laughs) (laughs) but okay that's all we've got for today thank you so much for listening if you would like to support our show you can leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast recommend us to a friend of course we always like that sort of thing and feel free to join our community on uh, patreon if you sign up for even the lowest dollar amount that'll get you entry to our patreon page a little bit above that you get access to uncut episodes bonus discussions and just some cool stuff you can even recommend or request topics or join in if you get up to that level but if you'd like to advertise with us, you can reach out that way as well. So I've got nothing else. Anything else to add to this, Shane? Nope. I think it's a good place to wrap. All right. Thank you so much for recording with me. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.